Hi, everybody. Welcome back to BXB, our first episode of 2023. Happy New Year to everybody. I'm Sweeney Murdy, along with my co-host, Keith McPherson. Hope you all enjoyed the holidays. We took a little break and back for New Year's. Keith, Happy New Year, man. How are you feeling today? Sweeney, good morning. Happy New Year. Good to see you. Hopefully you enjoyed the holiday. Uh, it's good to get back to talking Bronx baseball. And uh, we'll get there uh, actually really soon because this is January and February. And it really starts to kick in with spring training and you start really thinking about uh, the season and all. So uh, it's it's not really a busy time. Uh, there are probably tweaks to be made. I mean, the Yankees ended December with uh, Judge and Radone, and those are probably your two big moves for the winter, I would think. And, uh, and tweak a little bit the rest of the way. And you'll see some minor things here along the way. So, um, but, you know, there are some things to talk about with the team. We'll get into it. And a little bit later, we'll be joined by Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs. And you see him on MLB Network uh, talking a lot of Hall of Fame stuff. And um, it's, uh, I, I think it's a, one of the guys that uh, Yankee fans are really interested about is Andy Pettit. And his candidacy doesn't gain a lot of steam. We'll talk a little bit more about that with Jay coming up. Uh, shortly. Uh, thank you for finding us. We're on Odyssey. We're brought to you by Odyssey and WFAN, and uh, we talk Yankees baseball. So let's start with, you know, this isn't really like a splashy move. You know, Aaron Judge, we spent a lot of time talking about. Carlos Rodon, we banged the drum for until he finally got here. A front office move, which is kind of a weird one that happened this week, but I think it's worth talking about a little bit. Keith, uh, the addition of Brian Sabian, the former San Francisco Giants general manager. So, again, the Yankees take what the Giants had or thought they had between Judge and Rodon and now Brian Sabian. Uh, his contract was up at the end of the year. He uh, built three World Series champions, and now he's added as an advisor to Brian Cashman. And I found it interesting just from the standpoint of old-school scouting baseball guy who was added to a front office that in recent years has really leaned heavily on analytics and has been analytically driven. And it has been a major criticism for fans who want to criticize the front office. So here we go, adding a guy with this kind of background. Uh, it, to me, it's adding a smart voice in the room, but it's interesting to see how much input he will have with Brian Cashman because he is a different background than we're used to seeing in recent years. Yeah, I just said I saw you on uh, Baseball Night in New York talking about him. I wasn't familiar with his game or his name, but, I mean, having a guy like that in the room can't hurt, right? Um, uh, a guy that obviously has to have a good relationship with Brian Cashman or maybe once did. I, I think he's yeah. um, someone that maybe you said it, uh, you know, wouldn't be here if Brian Cashman didn't want him here. or Correct. Um, I, I think it's good to have uh, somebody else in the room that is one elsewhere. I think it's good to have somebody else in the room with other connections with GMs and teams across the league. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think fans that uh, hate Brian Cashman, I, I said this on air last night, you know, I always hear all these fans that they want to blame Brian Cashman. They never want to give him credit for anything. So yeah. I feel like this is the Yankees throwing a bone to those fans. Like, okay, you said Brian Cashman can't, uh, be the GM of this team in the future. Well, uh, it's not just him alone. Here's somebody else that's got some rings and some respect, and it's restoring a little bit of the old Yankee feeling with the history uh, of Brian Sabian. So I'm excited for uh, the future and what's to come. I think um, there was a quote where he said something along the lines of, you know, he'll do anything to try and uh, help yeah. the Yankees win another World Series, and that's what we're all on. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and listen, it's not the first time. Um, I think Brian Cashman has has surrounded himself with people like this before. Kevin Towers, late Kevin Towers, was an assistant to the Yankees after he finished up uh, his G, uh, previous GM job. Um, you have um, – why am I blanking now? Um, you former Cubs GM. Uh, Jim Hendry. Sorry. Sorry, Jimmy. I forgot your name for a second. Jim Hendry is on staff right now. Um, and this is another one of these voices that you say you surround yourself with smart people. Um, I, I think the thing, you know, you mentioned rings. and We talked about this a lot because I think it's really important, Keith. You know, there are not a lot of people, players especially, but there aren't a lot of people in the organization right now that have one World Series rings with the New York Yankees uh, or or at, or at all. Uh, Anthony Rizzo is the only player in the clubhouse with a ring, and you have now added a front office man who has three World Series rings and who helped lay the foundation for what the Yankees did in the 90s because he was in charge of the system that drafted uh, Jeter and Pettit and was, was really – uh, you know, Posada, uh, San Mariano, he was really more on the ground in those types of things, uh, those types of signings and and the process of that than Gene Michael was. Gene Michael was the general manager of the major league team. Brian Sabine was in charge of the minor league system. So um, he was more hands-on involved with the development of those players at a younger age than Gene Michael ever was. So you know, that's his background. And I only, it can only help to add somebody like that. Yeah. Experience plays. And, uh, you know, as much as the game has changed and we talk about everything being analytics driven, like part of me is always talking about feel and know, and, you know, just doing what, you know, works and, and being there before. Um, I, I like the move. Um, when I say experience plays, there, there's a saying, uh, you know, don't take, ex- don't take, uh, advice from, someone that's that hasn't gone where you're trying to go we all know where the yankees are trying to go and it's been a long time since they actually went there um no no coincidence that teams like the dodgers or the astros or the braves um are in it every year uh there's something to be said about just knowing what to do to get through 162 and then knowing what to do when october comes and with this uh new new postseason format i know it's a little different but at the end of the day, you just want a group of guys that when you get to October, they know what to do and how to prepare for every game and what type of players you need to have in those games. And I, I feel like the Yankees are, are are this close. I've been saying that since, you know, they were in the final four and, um, you know, came up short, way short against the Astros. But yeah. uh, there's enough talent on this team that I, I think they're super close. And I'm I'm very excited for 2023, this this upcoming season. Yeah, so as we said, they've they've done the heavy lifting. They brought Aaron Judge back, and if they didn't bring Judge back, you know, you and I have talked about there were probably not very many options for them to go that would excite you, that would make you think this team is better. Uh, so bring Judge, bring Rizzo back. Remember, he was a free agent too. He was the he was the first pickup. Uh, that goes a long way here. Signing Radon fortifies a rotation. I have some questions for you though. So um, you know, this is a little segment I I. I I uh, titled in my notes, do you believe? So let's start with this. Do you believe that the left fielder is currently on the roster? The opening day left fielder or the uh, playoff opener left fielder? Take your choice, Keith. Do you think the guy that you want to see in left field or could see play most of the games in left field is currently on the roster? 
I don't want to believe. Uh, <laughs> I want to believe that there's still time. I want to. I want to believe that uh, this is something that uh, can evolve over the next uh, 40 days before spring training. I heard you guys say that on baseball night in New York last mm-hmm. night. I was like, whoa, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, yep. it'll be here quickly. So uh, something I mentioned in my shows on WFAN, and I've always mentioned this about Cashman. I'm like, you know, Cashman is great. Uh, at shopping on the clearance rack, you know, going through the bargain bin and, and finding some deals. And uh, we've been noticing the minor league contracts that are being signed. Right. And uh, a couple guys were signed in this last week. I think I'm even forgetting one as I just tried to pull them up. Billy McKinney um, is, was one of them. Billy McKinney yep. and uh, Rafael Ortega, Willie Calhoun. These are all guys that have played the outfield at, in the show at the major league level. Uh, we obviously know who we already have internally with Aaron Hicks, really more so Oswaldo Cabrera. I think this is going to be a competition in camp. So do I believe the guy is on the roster? He could be, but I don't want to believe. I think we could do better than the options that I just listed. And, uh, you know, Cashman can potentially work a trade. Brian Reynolds is still on the table. I don't know. I don't I don't want to believe. I'll say no. The uh, starting left fielder for the New York Yankees opening day is not yet on the roster. And, and let's remember opening day isn't, isn't a deadline. Okay. You're not fielding your game one playoff lineup on opening day. And I heard, you know, I heard it phrased a certain way yesterday with, with Jim Memolo from Emily network radio, where he said, you know, we, we tend to think of the opening of spring training, the opening of the season as some sort of deadline. And it's not, you know, these teams are constantly working uh, to get better. And it's, the time of year where you kind of understand, okay, the big pieces probably off the table, your big improvements are probably made. You're going to have to maybe the guys you talked about, these are the signings. These are the kinds of things that maybe add to your depth to make you think, okay, let's think about if Harrison Bader or Aaron judge gets hurt for a month, you know, are one of these guys, the kind of guys that can come up and help us fill the time. That's what those signings are. These are not the guys that you sit there and say, Oh, he's going to be batting cleanup for us and game four of the world series. No, but you're looking at it the way you probably do anyway, build your team for how it's going to start and then find your areas of weakness and add to the team Later on in the year, we've seen, Keith, the last two years, we've seen the Yankees be very active in July. So I think you have to take that mindset and say, if left field isn't the guy that's there right now, if you feel totally comfortable with, you don't need to have, we're not at a deadline yet where that has to be filled. There's a trade deadline. And if history repeats itself, Joey Gallo was acquired at the trade mm. deadline in 2021. Mm. Andrew Benintendi in 2022. Mm. Left field has been somewhat of a pit, somewhat of a black hole in Yankee mm. Stadium. A few guys have fallen into it and not come out of it. So <laughs> we'll see how, uh, you know, the first half of the season goes and maybe revisit that again. All right. So um, my next do you believe I think is an interesting one because I don't think we – we have a complete answer. Let's put it that way. Do you believe in Clay Holmes? Uh, Yankees closer made the all-star team last year because he had a phenomenal first half. He had a Mariano Rivera-like first half. Um, Did not carry over to the second. Physical limitations might have been part of it. He was injured. He dealt with injury. Coming back from it wasn't easy. And you didn't really see the same dominant player pitcher that you saw in the first half. 
he is the guy on the roster right now that if you just said, okay, tomorrow's a game that you have a lead in the ninth inning, he's probably the guy you're going to. But if you're looking at this team as a World Series contender, as a championship contender, do you believe in Clay Holmes? I do. I, I think I more so believe in Matt Blake and um, the the pitchers around him and, and the Yankees' ability to tap back into the elite-level stuff that we saw last year when he had 29 um, scoreless innings. This guy was an all-star for the first time last year. This guy basically took the closer job from Chapman. And uh, I, I think, you know, it was the first year of that. I remember seeing him in L.A., and I'm like, one of these guys doesn't belong. Shout out to Clay. <laughs> but I'm looking around, and you've got superstars of the game. You've got these guys with iced-out chains. You've got these guys with top hats. And, uh, you know, they're, they're showing out the, uh, you know, Ronald Acuna Juniors and Jazz Chisholms of the world. And uh, Clay Holmes rolls through in his first All-Star game. And I'm like, hey, that's one of our guys, too. So I, I think it was just a uh, a, a big difference uh, for him last year being the Yankees closer. And I think his second season with the Yankees versus, you know, being in Pittsburgh and coming out of the bullpen. And it's just, it's an adjustment to make. And I, I think he'll be ready going into this year knowing, Hey, you, you're first up, you get the ball as uh, the Yankees closer. It's your job to lose. But I think the Yankees also have some other guys in the bullpen that could get it done. Yeah. I've always kind of looked at Loisaga the last few years and said, man, this is the guy that I think should be closing. The only problem is, and I don't know, I, I need to talk to people about this more because I don't think it's kind of set and dry. I, I think that there are they're cut and dry. I think I, I feel like there are some other factors, but his numbers on back-to-back days are not good the last two years. And it's a pretty decent sample size. If you want, like, he does better when he has rest and days to rest up, and maybe you get multiple innings out of him. But his days when he appears in back-to-back games – the numbers are not good they're not in his favor so it makes me a little leery that maybe he's not physically capable built up durable enough to be a closer where you want a guy to to get you two consecutive saves you know um and that's something that you need in the regular season not just the postseason so i i think that's the only thing that's kind of holding me back but maybe that's better too because Loisaga is a to me is a better weapon when you can throw him two innings at a time and every few days. Yeah, and I think most Yankees fans caught what Alex Bregman had to say twice about Jonathan Loisaga on a podcast and then um there was some kind of like uh Jewish synagogue live stream um event at like a temple that made its rounds where Alex Bregman doubled down on it. He said the hardest pitcher to face is Jonathan Loisaga like He's throwing hard and his stuff moves. He said he's got a, a fastball that's you know, five feet off the plate. Then, boom, it's right on you. So, yeah, uh, maybe maybe uh, J-Lo, as they called him for a little <laughs> bit <laughs> last year. I'd rather just stick to, like, Lowe yeah. or, yeah. or John. <laughs> Johnny Lasagna. Yeah, we're in the Bronx. We don't we don't want to fire up the, the Jenny from the block nickname. It never really stuck. <laughs> but uh, I think Loisaga will be ready to go as well. All right. I I have another do you believe, um, and this one is pretty simple before we bring in Jay. Um, And I'll let let Ryan answer this one too. Do you believe the Yankees are the best team in the AL East? Um, 
Keith, I think it's a pretty simple question, and I, and I ask it only because I know people aren't all that jazzed up about certain aspects of the team. But look at the division. I think it's pretty easy to say the Yankees are the best team in the AL East. Process of elimination. Um, it, it's not the Orioles. It's not the Red Sox. It's yeah. not the Rays. All respect to the Jays and what they've done this season and scooping up Donnie baseball, but it's the Yankees. They have the reigning AL MVP. They added Carlos Rodon. This uh, is the best, might be the best rotation we've seen in a long time. And they're saying this is the best ro- best rotation in baseball. And, uh, you know, you go around with the veterans and the mix of potential young talent that the Yankees have. Yeah, they're, they're the best team in the AL East, if you ask me. I'm pumping the brakes a little bit on the rotation just because I, I, I feel like there's, you know, the, the ability to repeat, especially for Cortez, is so key here. And the health of Severino. And if all if both of those things play well, very deep rotation, very good rotation. But I'm just, you know, we saw some of the um, some of the breakdown late in the season with Cortez. And it just worries me a little asking him to repeat, throw another 160 innings on top of this after last season. So that's the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause. Ryan, your thoughts. I'm with Keith. I think they're easily the best the best team in the division. And it's not just about what the Yankees added. It's about what the other teams in the division didn't add. And you look at the Rays, they haven't done anything substantial. The Blue Jays, I guess you could say, made some of the biggest additions in getting Chris Bassett to the rotation. They added Varsho and Kiermaier, so they, they'll probably have one of the top defensive outfields in the game. But the Yankees were still, I think, clearly the best team in the division last year. I don't think any teams around them have done enough to to leapfrog them. The Red Sox haven't done much except retain Devers. Uh, the Orioles, their young stars will probably take a step forward this year, but they haven't done much to add in addition to them. So I'm still on the Yankee bandwagon. I I just feel like uh, you know Toronto's the team here that I think we should kind of be leery of, but. Um, because I've mentioned this before, the line doesn't always go straight up. And we thought, you know, last year, you know, you know, Toronto was going to be the team because they were going to keep moving forward. Last year was the year they took a little step back. And now, now maybe they get a full taste of what it's going to take. I would be, here's where I would be worried. Toronto gets off to a really good start, gives them confidence that they are who they want to be this year. That's what would kind of worry me about them because Getting off to a good start will give them a boatload of confidence and put them in a position where, you know, um, they can start playing from ahead. And that's really important rather than catching up. So we'll see how we'll see how that plays out. We've got more time to discuss that before the season starts. Those those guys aren't lacking confidence, Sweeney. Uh, Vladdy Jr. was on a podcast talking a lot about playing against the Yankees. They're going to remember that. And then also Alec, Alec Manoa. Uh, when asked who the biggest cheater in the history of baseball is, he mentioned Garrett Cole. I've got that on the bulletin board. We haven't forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, it's there. Uh, Vlad and Bo Bichette, these are MVP caliber players. If they get off to good starts for this team, I think that makes them really dangerous Um, because this is their time. They can't keep wasting time. You can't keep saying, you know, we're the team, we're the team, and not be the team. Yeah, I kind of have to take it. So that's why, like, they're kind of a wild card right now because this is the year they have to take that next step um, when they, they, you know, and and that they've been building towards. It's time to stop building and just kind of take it. Uh, Ryan, thank you for your input there. That's my segment called Do You Believe? Um, 
we'll see how if we can bring that back later on. Let's bring in Jay Jaffe right now. And uh, Jay uh, writes for Fangraphs and has written a book called The Cooperstown Casebook, which is available everywhere. And um, this is his time of year. Jay, good morning. Keith McPherson is with me as well. Uh, how are you today? Thanks for giving us some a few moments. Hey, I'm doing all right, Sweeney. Happy New Year to you and, and to Keith as well here. Hey, thanks Happy for joining us. Was that you knocking? I heard, I heard some knocks coming in. Good morning. <laughs> uh, I wasn't knocking. No. Knocking on air, we're ready to go. I mentioned this is Jay's time of year because Jay does such a wonderful job, Keith, of breaking down the candidates on the ballot. And um, Hall of Fame announcement comes up later this month. Uh, the the ballots are all in. They'll be tabula- they're being tabulated and will be revealed later this month. Some of them are publicly known. I think about a third of them are publicly known at this point. Uh, so you can kind of identify trends and who's in, who's not. Andy Pettit is the guy we want to focus on today, Jay, for our Yankees audience. And he is uh, at around 20% on the public ballot so far. It's a little bit higher than what he's used than what he's been in years past, which probably means he's coming back down to his kind of norm. Um, listen, I have a hard time kind of gauging where Andy Pettit is. He is a true, to me, borderline on the fence kind of candidate. I'm curious where overall you feel about him before we dive into him more. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, there's, I think there's two thoughts here. One, um, you know, I spent a lot of time watching Andy Pettit with the Yankees as a fan uh, before I donned my professional hat. I've uh, been part of a, a partial season ticket package since 1998, actually. Uh, good year to start. Um, I have great affection for, for Andy Pettit. He, he, uh, he was a lot of fun to watch as a fan. Uh, my heart really wants him to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, when I look at his numbers, however, using the system uh, that I have devised that uh, a lot of uh, other voters have turned to called JAWS, which uses wins above replacement to compare uh, candidates who are uh, to, to pitchers, and, uh, other players who are already in the Hall of Fame at, the, at their given positions, I see only a tenuous rationale for putting him in uh, in terms of the overall historical picture, and that's maybe um, mitigated a bit by uh, the dearth of contemporaries who've who've been elected to the hall. But I keep trying. Uh, I, I'm on my third time actually voting here uh, after uh, uh, years and years, decade and a half of of analyzing this from the outside. Uh, and so far, I haven't included him on my ballot. Um, I came close this year because I had the space. Uh, but uh, I still wasn't even convinced. And that's after kind of tweaking my system uh, to get a better gauge on, on, on recent starting pitchers. There's been a lot of talk uh, in the last two years now with uh, David Ortiz being a first ballot Hall of Famer, obviously uh, a connection there to PEDs. Yeah. Uh, what do you feel about that and Andy and, you know, the future and, uh, you know, what's to come with the voting process and, and players that, um, that had a connection to PEDs. Yeah, it's, you know, I think there's no uniform consensus over how to handle PED-linked candidates. Uh, you know, some people have absolutely zero tolerance. Some people are, you know, vote agnostic, you know, they're completely agnostic about it. Um, I kind of take a middle approach, and I've been taking this approach really for the past decade plus when I was doing my my virtual ballots and my coverage at Sports Illustrated before coming to Fangraphs. Uh, and that is, 
anything that happened before testing and penalties were in place in 2004 to me is the wild west major league baseball wasn't trying to uh uh to catch offenders and was kind of looking the other way what andy pettit did uh i think you know fits squarely into that time period it seems to be pretty minor in terms of you know using hgh to to rehab from an injury I, I, you know, I'm not somebody who gets worked up over that. Whereas, for example, I have left Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez, both of whom have are beyond statistically qualified for the Hall of Fame. I've left them off my ballots because they both, uh, you know, were suspended uh, for, you know, for what they did. Uh, you know, they, 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 uh, they knew what the consequences were. Um, so I, I, David Ortiz uh, is, uh, you know, he, he's reportedly failed the 2003 survey test. Um, Commissioner Rob Manfred took the unusual step of more or less exonerating him because that he said uh, that uh, uh, Ortiz's test is one that would have been disputed over um, uh, the actual substance involved because it may have been legal at the time, uh, which was a step he didn't take for Sammy Sosa, whose uh, who's only uh, known violation also stems from uh, being reported as the uh, uh, as being on that survey list, um, so I, I in some ways Ortiz's election is kind of groundbreaking, indicating some gray area. In another, but in another sense, I mean, we saw voters reject Barry Bonds uh, and uh, Roger Clemens. I mean, they didn't reject them. Sixty five percent of them voted for them last year, but that was about ten percent short of what they needed. Um, so I think it's going to be hard for any PED linked candidates. Uh, to gain entry soon, although I think uh, a player in Pettit's position is probably uh, better positioned if there is some forgiveness there, um, but it still comes back to the numbers, and the numbers are not, uh, I don't think, overwhelming uh, in, in pushing his candidacy forward. Pettit's such a likable guy from a New York perspective, right? I mean, you know, you and Keith grew up Yankee fans. I mean, I covered Andy Pettit for a long time as a player. He's He always comes off as very honest and forthright. So when he explains what he got caught for, as you mentioned, uh, it, he explained it as a limited time of use, rehab from an injury that he was, you know, he was uh, feeling like he was hurting the team by being away and wanted to come back and join the team. Andy feels like such a good you know, open, honest person that you want to believe that that was the case, right? Um, the thing is, is, though, that I've talked to people and you can see how the voting is gone. Any linkage to PEDs, no matter how small, seems to be met with the same end result. And one of the things that kind of interested me was looking at the fact that, you know, we mentioned Bonds and Clemens, right? 65 percent, both of them. So I got to feel like those are both 95 to almost 100 percent votes if they had no connection. So if I'm taking if I'm just going to assume that math and say 30, they lost 30 percent of the votes because of their link. If I add 30 percent of the votes to Pettit, let's say he's still only a marginal candidate at best here at 40, you know, 45 percent on most ballots, assuming that. All 30, you know, assuming that that's how many people are not voting for him simply because of that. There's still, you know, is it is it the win total? Is it the team he played on? Is it the era that he pitched in? Um, does the postseason count? Can it push him over the top? Um, 
what what can really or does he just have to kind of wait this out, Jay, and kind of be like a does he have to be a Jim Cott kind of candidate? Mm. At the end? Yeah, you know, I think I, th- I think it's it, it's probably, you know, the, the, the Jim Cott or Jack Morris camp yeah. uh, in this. This is a guy who who doesn't have the overwhelming numbers and really, you know, look, it starts with run prevention. Um, when the win total is gaudy uh, because he had the longevity and because he played for excellent teams, we're not going to see many guys win 256 games, uh, you know, given the way that starting pitching has evolved here. Um, but, you know, Pettit had a, had a, a 385 career earned run average uh, with baseball reference. That's 17% better than the park adjusted league average. That's actually pretty good. Uh, pretty impressive over the course of uh, 3,300 innings. Um it's comparable to, to Hall of Famers like Burt Blylevin, uh, who stuck around forever, uh, came closer to 300 wins. But those guys, the guys who who had who had those numbers, had at least another thousand innings, topped 3,000 strikeouts. Um, you know, and Pennant's short there. Uh, his postseason resume has some very impressive performances. Um, you know, he's the all-time leader because uh, in several categories. <clears throat> but his overall earned run averages uh, in the postseason is 381. And, uh, you know, it's, it's about the same as his regular season average, which, again, you're doing that against top competition. That's pretty great. But, you know, it's tough to overlook, like, you know, him getting bombed twice in the 2001 World Series because of uh, he was tipping his pitches and, 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 and the Yankees couldn't figure that out. Uh, and it probably, you know, in a, in, a, in a series that went down to the final at bat, it's it's easy to pin that loss on him uh, just as it is to, to, to credit him for, for some of their other uh, wins. So, you know, like Jack Morris, uh, his, his overall postseason numbers are a pretty good approximation of his regular season numbers. Morris got to about 66% on the writer's ballot in 15 tries, uh, never got over the hump, uh, had to wait for the era committee uh, to get in. I, I see Pettit as probably, at best, probably going that route. I think he'll survive on the writer's ballot for, for the full 10 years. I think he has enough of a constituency uh, to stick that out. But I think it's going to take some, you know, maybe some, some, some uh, more forgiving uh, members of the uh, ERA committee uh, to, to get a different look at his career, you know, maybe 10 years down the road or so um, to get him in. Maybe it takes even longer, like a guy like Jim Cott, who'd been what retired for almost 40 years before yeah. being elected. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's probably the route that gets Andy Pettit to the hall of fame. If anything does, because I don't think you're going to overcome that kind of, you know, built in resistance to the PED users from the writers at this point, not without significant turnover in the electorate, which does happen, but doesn't happen quickly enough uh, to, to make much change for, for a, a, a low, you know, a low scoring candidate like, like, uh, uh, like Pettit, but let's uh, you know if Pettit does get into the forty percent range. What's interesting about that? I've studied this for years and years, and basically, if you ever get forty percent, the odds are you're going to get elected uh, eventually yeah. by by a committee. Um, and if you get to fifty percent, uh, it's almost a certainty. It's only Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling uh, that haven't gotten elected, and they just had their first go round on the uh, uh, era committee ballot. Never is a very long time, uh, as yeah. as I like to say. Um, you know, in terms of the idea that he's going to be elected. Can I interrupt you for a second there, Jay? Like, it's pretty clear that the players on that committee didn't want Bonds and Clemens in the Hall of Fame. So as, you know, the contemporaries, the people, the, the players didn't want that group. So 
do you think they would look at Pettit any differently? Uh, because I mean, I, that's the message I'm getting from both the players, yeah, that, you know, the difficult and other players that you talk to anecdotally. Well, okay, uh, let's acknowledge the fact that the Hall of Fame chooses who, which players, which Hall of Fame players get to be on that committee. And mm-hmm. uh, I looked at this very closely, and it, it certainly had the whiff of of, of, of a setup. Uh, you had, you know, Frank Thomas, the most vocal uh, anti-PED crusader of act among active players on that committee. Ryan Sandberg, who was very vocal about uh, uh, his view of, of PED users and was openly critical of Sammy Sosa, um, who was not on this ballot. Um, I don't know, you know, and I think the Hall heard some of that criticism, and I don't know whether they're going to act on it. But, you know, over time, institutions change, new people come and, you know, become involved. I don't know that the Hall is going to be, forever be able to engineer such hardline stances among their voters. And, I, you know, I think it's going to open them up to criticism if, if, if they're seen as doing that, um, because ultimately, you, you know, you don't have a fair process there. So I don't know that I don't regard anything that, that we saw there as permanent, as frustrating as it may be. Um, I do think that uh you know you could probably get players to acknowledge that there were you know there was a lot of gray area and that what Pettit did probably does fall into a gray area um you're just not going to find those guys if they're openly shouting that from the rooftops they're not going to wind up on the era committee so um I, I i think that's the lesson there so this just uh dawned on me or clicked for me um i've never been to cooperstown i missed mariano i missed jeter and <coughs> Obviously, guys, before that, but uh, now we're in 2023. CC Sabathia retired in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to start, you know, using this platform to promote that we game the system and have the day with CC and Andy together. <laughs> wow, that that would be that would be wonderful. I do see CC as a significantly stronger candidate uh, than than Andy Pettit because he had that Cy Young award. Uh, you know, both of them, you know, were just absolute studs in that in that 2009 run for the Yankees mm-hmm. um uh Sabathia also had that 2008 run with the Brewers basically you know putting them on his back starting every fourth day a f- you know a few times in a row to help them get that first playoff spot in a quarter century um he reached 3,000 strikeouts just the third lefty to do so he's he scores significantly better in my uh in my jaws system um, so I'm I'm optimistic about CC. I think when you look at the fact that uh, we're going to go uh, between, uh, it's going to be years between uh, uh, the last election of a starting pitcher, Mike Messina, uh, and uh, a- and the next wave, the guys like uh, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw, and Zach Greinke, who are still going strong and have the Hall of Fame numbers, but but are are still playing. Sabathia is going to be the only the only strong starting pitching candidate in over the course of at least a decade span. So I think he's going to stand out, and I think you know he generated a lot of goodwill during his career. Uh, open open about his his battles with alcoholism and his his uh, uh, remaking himself uh, uh, after he lost his his good fastball and battled through those knee injuries. I think he has a very um, uh, compelling narrative. Uh, when it comes to his his Hall of Fame case, I certainly intend to vote for him. Um, maybe maybe there's some coattails there that will help Andy Pettit, but uh, we don't know. 
You know, I, I mean, and CC, I think, would probably be the first guy to help campaign for Andy because, you know, mm -hmm. they did enjoy a good relationship together uh, during those years. I'm wondering, you know, I know that we are beyond just the raw numbers anymore, Jay. Um, there's a, and, and I know that you and every other voter really take this seriously. For people who don't understand, this isn't get the ballot, sit down for five minutes and check off. Okay, bang, bang, bang. There you go. There's a lot of deep thought and research that goes into this. I'm wondering, though, that if – if Pettit didn't sit out that year and a half, his career totals would look significantly different. You're talking about probably 275-ish wins, and mm -hmm. add to that, you know, his 19 and maybe another postseason win. You're talking about close to 300 or maybe 300 regular season and postseason victories if he doesn't sit out that year and a half late in his career. Is that? It doesn't change any of the rate stats or any other things that you are using to measure him compared to other players. But do you think that would have mattered? Would it change his candidacy? Maybe, but you look at you know there for for the better part of two decades that I've been you know that I've been doing this, we had three candidates with two hundred eighty plus wins uh, and and very you know varying other. Uh, uh, peripheral uh, considerations uh, who were outside the hall. We had Burt Blylevin, um, Tommy John, and and Jim Cott. Uh, Blylevin was the guy who, with the you know, with the the four thousand plus strikeouts, um, he missed uh, two seasons with injuries and probably would have gotten three three uh, three hundred wins. Um, he was uh, the the beneficiary of a grassroots campaign from the stat heads uh, that eventually got him in in his. Uh, um, I think it was his second to last year on the ballot. Uh, Tommy John, despite having the surgery named after him and probably uh, missing out on 300 wins because of that uh, uh, that missed uh, year and a half uh, of injuries, although you know he wouldn't have had the second half of his career had he not uh, uh, done that unprecedented surgery. Uh, he's been on the outside looking in, uh, and then you've got Cott, who I think really kind of rode. Uh, uh, the credentials of his his uh, you know four decade broadcasting career uh, into Cooperstown is because you know he was uh, uh, he was briefly an ace with the Twins in the in the in the mid sixties but uh, and had uh, a few big seasons with the White Sox in the seventies but you know was a league average starter for a long time and you know by the end of his career was sticking around as a lefty specialist um, you know to get uh, was it twenty five years in the majors or whatever it was I mean just pitching forever. Um, so, you know, the voters have, you know, viewed those guys differently. And I think it, it's tough to make a case for Pettit. I mean, cause so many pitchers miss time due to injuries. Um, Pettit's hardly unique. We've only got one, uh, Tommy John surgery recipient in the hall of fame. That's John Smoltz, yeah. uh, among, among pitchers, Justin Verlander will be the second, um, unless Billy Wagner, uh, cuts, cuts the line as a reliever. Um, it, it's, you know, you can play what if with just about any any uh, any pitcher who has a who has a substantial career. Um, you know, and I think Pettit. Uh, you know, again, if he had pitched as well in his early career at times as he did in those those later years with his comeback, yeah. maybe you know, maybe maybe it'd be different. He was so good when he came back to the Yankees, and and really uh, and. and uh, um, you know, it's it's uh, the where the experience, uh, the benefit, the benefit of experience, but the uh, the sacrifice of 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 peak physical ability. Um, you know, if he'd had if 
like every other athlete, if they could combine both of those, they'd, they'd be out of this world. And, and, you know, it's just one of those realities of, of life as an athlete that you don't often have both at the same time. And you've got one making up for the other. Uh, this is going to be long-winded, but I want to get all of this in. So <laughs> I, I just mentioned CC Sabathia, one of my favorite players, great ambassador for the game. He's also connected to the Players Alliance, who um, their mission is to you know help young black kids get into baseball and also to shine more of a light on African-American players in the game. Um, that's a mission that I also have, too, as a young African-American voice in baseball and a, a, just a huge baseball fan. Uh, I'd like to see more people of color get involved in the game in, in any kind of way. Uh, we did get to see uh, Derek Jeter inducted into the Hall of Fame. I think that's great. But uh, the next guy, um, three years ago for Black History Month, I, I did a couple uh, videos where I just rapped about different black baseball players. And I also put some uh, research into that. And, you know, there was just so many more um, – heroes in baseball like Willie Mays and Hank Aaron um, even in you know my younger years with uh, Barry Bonds and Ken Griffey and uh, this guy from the Tom Amansky um, you know instructional training videos just got um, selected by the error committee um, the crime dog Fred McGriff I'd like to hear you speak about him I was thrilled to see that he's gonna get his day and that he will be in the Hall of Fame coming up soon yeah Fred McGriff look I my system was not a was not a huge uh, fan of Fred McGriff in terms of where he ranks among first basemen, but um, uh, she's you know uh, he was a guy who who seemed to do everything right, you know, kind of quiet off the field, let his bat do the talking. Uh, obviously, bounced around for a lot of teams, had some big years with 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 the Braves, kind of missed out on 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 you know a few other uh, situations in terms of being in the right. Could have been right a Yankees time. legend. Yeah, exactly. Could have been a Yankees legend. Could have been a Blue Jays. Could have been a Blue Jays uh, uh, staple uh, when they when they won in the early '90s. I mean, you know, sometimes in the wrong place at the at the wrong time for no through no fault of his own. But um, I was at the winter meetings. I heard him speak uh, in his uh, his his press conference uh, after being inducted. I couldn't help but be very happy for the guy. Uh, I just hope. Um, you know, I hope that uh, he's not the only one in Cooperstown uh, going in, going into the Hall of Fame this summer because, um, you know, if, if the writers don't uh, elect a player and it's going to be close in terms of, you know, Scott Rowland and maybe maybe Todd Helton, uh, uh, it's going to be a much smaller celebration because the veterans, uh, you know, the, the era committee guys don't draw the crowds in the same way, I don't think. Um, and even, you know, I, I, so it's going to be a, a smaller celebration. So I hope somebody else gets in and gets – uh, you know, so that so the, the crowds are big enough, and and McGriff, uh, uh, you know, has has his big day. But yeah, I you know, I'd love to see you know Sabathia as you know the the, the dwindling rep, you know African American representation in the sport is a long term problem. And I know CC has worked as hard as anybody, uh, you know, to try to raise awareness of that and to take steps to 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 try to reverse that situation. I think that's just one one more element of his legacy uh, and then his narrative. Uh, you know, I think back to all, you know, all I've read about the Black Aces. Uh, you know, the 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 the, the African American pitchers who won twenty games and and you know formed a unique fraternity. Guys like um, uh, you know Fergie Jenkins in the Hall of Fame, but a lot of them uh, just short, like Dave Stewart. Uh, you know, CC, I think uh, as a representative of that group in the Hall would be great. 
Yeah. Um, listen, we're almost out of time here. I just want to throw this at you. Um, and, and I don't think we have really time to react to it, but I just wanted to throw it out there. I, I, I hope Roland gets in. I hope Todd Helton gets in. I hope Andrew Jones gets in because I think there are things here that we need to recognize that, um, you know, defense actually matters. We talk about it all the time in the context of a game. Why right. shouldn't we reward players who are not just excellent hitters, but Really good hitters and really good defenders, the combination of the two, and a guy like Scott Rowland. Um, you know, Ozzie Smith and Pud Rodriguez would not be in the Hall of Fame at all if they didn't, if they weren't really good defenders. Why can't we apply some of that same logic? And Andrew Jones fits into that same mold, I think. I know he had that steep drop off in his early 30s, which hurts him. Uh, and Helton, listen, I just think it's time we stop pretending. That I mean, we, we dealt with it with LeMay. I talked about a lot with LeMayhew. We've put a team in Denver for almost 30 years, and we pretend like they're not playing <laughs> the same game as everybody else. They are, okay? I understand the conditions, but just be real. And now you have 30 years' worth of data, not just a year or two at Coors Field and saying, oh, look at what's happening. Jay, I don't have more than a minute for you to react to this, but this is just me kind of saying, listen, they're playing the same game 29 teams are. Let's let's stop pretending it's different. Yeah, look, I I agree with you on all those fronts. Scott Rowland is uh, third in uh, the defensive fielding runs in the metrics that I use, um, as well as being maybe a top 10 or 15 hitter uh, among third basemen all time. Clear Hall of Famer to me. Andrew Jones ranks number one. Uh, at his position in fielding runs, um, you know, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin, not strikeout pitchers, but uh, the, you know, those runs, those, that run prevention had to come from somewhere. Nobody yeah. played a bigger role than, than Andrew Jones. Yeah. Um, he outranks Willie Mays despite his short career in, in, in fielding runs. Um, Todd Helton, elite hitter, even away from Coors Field. And we have the, we have the means to park adjust and to adjust these things for context. Also an excellent fielder as well. Uh, all around value, top 15 among first basemen all time. Clear Hall of Famer to me. I'm glad to see the progress he's made. So all those guys, I hope all those guys get in. I hope Billy Wagner gets in as well. Yeah. Um, I think long term, they're all going in, maybe even Gary Sheffield as well, but maybe not this year. Yeah, I like Wagner because I think like if you're just going to measure everybody with Mariano Rivera, you're going to wait another 100 years before you put another closer in. Uh, We're out of time. Uh, The Cooperstown Casebook, you can get it anywhere, probably still, I believe, and you're on Fangraphs. And uh, thanks for the time. I know this is an exciting time of year. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much. Sure thing, sweetie. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Keith. All right. Keith, I think we're out of time here as well. So uh, let's just put a bow on this and, um, and we'll be back real soon, right? Yeah, good show. I'm going right back to bed. <laughs> and hopefully we didn't put everybody listening to bed and you can go out the rest of your day thanks to keith mcpherson thanks to our producer ryan chichester and thanks to jay jaffe uh the cooperstown casebook is available everywhere and his fine writing is on fan graphs if you want to check out more of the deep dives into hall of fame candidates i'm sweeney murdy thanks for listening to bxp from odyssey and from wfan get it rate it review subscribe all that stuff and we'll see you next time